0: good morning church it's a great day to be uh, gathered together as believers in the lord jesus christ it's a great day to sing praise to his name isn't it 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 is there's something about lifting our praises to the lord that lightens our load here on earth and uh, fills as we talk about the breath you know in our lungs coming from god uh, himself, and as we think about uh, God's work today, is the church's birthday, not the Brook, but the big church, like right? the Universal Church, the the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Day of Pentecost that many churches are observing that across uh, across the world today, and that's the Day of Pentecost is the day when the Lord. Uh, the Spirit came and the church was born in Acts chapter 2. And so uh, it's appropriate that we sing of the Spirit and we sing of God's uh, love and all of the work uh, that he's doing. I'd like you to join me in the book of Colossians this morning once again in the book of Colossians. And I'm so happy to to be here and to share God's word with you. And as as you're, you know, looking at your app or or looking in your Bible, or on the screen, or however, however you do it these days in, in the year 2021, I wanted to talk to you about something kind of serious, right, kind of serious, and it's something I know, I think Pastor Mucci has mentioned it in passing, or uh, he has mentioned it uh, indeed, and others have mentioned it as well, and I don't know if you've observed this or not, or if this is something that's been a part of your life. But uh, there has been this uh, tendency or this uh, phenomenon over recent uh, years, maybe more intense in this past year, of people um, moving away from their faith. Maybe it's always happened, and maybe we just took notice of it lately, but it seems like a lot of folks are saying, you know, I'm not so sure Christianity is for me. And I think about that, and it's certainly a very troubling thing, right? Uh, we t- some people refer to it as the deconstructing of the faith. That people look at their faith and they kind of take it apart, and they say there's not much to it, and they move on to the next thing, or maybe they give up on faith at all uh, altogether, or they try something, some new religion or some new philosophy or some new something new, and so. It really demands of us to to think hard questions. I don't know if you've known anybody in that situation. I don't know if those are thoughts that have crossed your mind in the past year, especially as we see our world unraveling in so many different ways, in so many different angles whether it's you know, uh, scandals within Christianity itself, whether it's uh, multiple injustices that we see in our nation or across the globe, or we see all kinds of uh, man's in humanity to man and all, all of those things that we see, and we just kind of wonder what on earth is, is going on. And it seems to me that it's not an illegitimate question to ask yourself if the faith that you have has the necessary you know, substance behind it if your faith is good enough, uh, strong enough, in order for it to meet the demands of the day that we face ourselves, so uh, so we find ourselves. So if we're talking about um, pandemics, if we're talking about uh, just global injustices or local injustices, if we're talking about personal issues or family issues, things that that get us down, things that kind of drive us in the wrong direction, and is our faith enough? Now, if your faith, and, and, you know, it's kind of an interesting phrase, your faith, right? Because if our faith is in ourself, we know our limitations. We know our weaknesses. We know, if we're completely honest, that, you we know, we're going to need some help in this life, right? So I'm not, the emphasis isn't on your as much as, in what I say it, as, as much as it's on faith, in terms of what do you actually believe in, We've moved to a, a kind of a, a strange place in society where people, you know, if you ask people about their faith and so forth, and not, not probing, you know, intense questions, right, but just kind of general talk. And, and they'll say, well, you know, I believe in God, right? And the question then immediately becomes like, I mean, and I don't always ask this question as the follow-up, but you, you can, I think, if you have a relationship with the person, to say, well, what do you mean? What, what do you believe about God, right? What do you believe about God? Some people have a God that they've created in their own mind and they kind of like that God and they hang out with that God, that God helps them and so forth. But it's really a God of, of their own creation. Some people have created gods of their, of, you know, kind of kind of worldly gods in terms of my God is my business or God is my my, uh, my job or, you know, my God is money or my God is fun or, you know, those kinds of things. And we say to ourselves, you know, well, that doesn't sound quite very biblical, right? It doesn't sound biblical at all. So the thought that I have today as we're talking about our faith we're talking about the faith that God has given us we're talking about the teaching the doctrines of the scripture now it seems to me if your faith is something you inherited from your parents or your grandparents or or some close relative or or, or some teacher somewhere uh, on tv or something like that it may not quite be your faith and so if you haven't personalized it, if you haven't made it your own, then a trial comes, or then some horrible thing happens, and then it's, you, it's revealed that it's not really yours. It was somebody else's, and it was never yours to begin with, and you never personalized it. You see where I'm going with this? It's, it's those kinds of deep existential questions that we have to ask in order, in order for us to understand the message and the teaching of the scripture. And what's designed by this is to say this, maybe you've looked at the faith or maybe you've looked at Christians around and, and you're kind of saying, man, do I want to be a part of this thing called Christianity? And you say, man, there's hypocrites and there's really some, you know, I heard some bad stuff happen in churches or I've heard some bad stuff happen among Christians, stuff that just didn't seem right. And, you know, I don't know if I want a part of this. Maybe, maybe I heard they're all hypocrites, people in church or something like that. And, you know, you hear all kinds of different things and you say to yourself, you you say to yourself, is that really what the faith really is? The teaching of the Bible really is. It seems to me that the demand of our age is this. For us to have a true understanding of what the Bible teaches. See, I think what's happened over time is that people have co-opted Jesus for their own purposes. Uh, you know, there's kind of motivational speaker Jesus. There's philosopher Jesus. You know, there's good buddy Jesus, right? You know, there's uh, fashionable Jesus, right? And all kinds of all kinds of categories. And they've co-opted Jesus, and they've made Jesus into something that they can live with and they can tolerate. What Christians are saying, and what you know, people of, you know of like us, where we study the Bible and we read the scripture, and we we expect a sermon every week, is the thought that we really want to know who the Biblical Jesus is. If you've made a Jesus of your own creation, eventually you're going to grow dissatisfied with that Jesus because that Jesus isn't going to meet all your needs. Because you know what? Interesting thing, you don't know all your needs. You know all your needs maybe at the moment or you know a lot of your needs at the moment, but you're not going to know what your needs are later today or tomorrow or next week or next year. You're not going to know that. So what I'm, what I'm saying is this. We need to focus on what the Bible says about Jesus. And that brings us to Colossians chapter 1. We've been studying Colossians uh, for a few weeks now, and it seems to me that, you know, Paul is just saying such wonderful things, and the message of today is called Jesus the Beloved Son. I take it from verse 13 where it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His Beloved Son. Now, one thing you want to note when you're reading these verses over, no matter what what version you have, it's going to insert some periods and and some punctuation uh, in these verses. But something interesting to note is that if you open the Greek New Testament up, there are no periods, there are no stops from verse 9 all the way down to verse 20. It is one, if we can use our English grammar uh, language, it is one run-on sentence. And it's like, don't hand that into class, right? Don't hand it into your teacher. However, that's, Paul's, not, Paul's not writing for the English teacher. Paul is writing for a group of Christians who have trusted Jesus Christ. And he goes on and he goes on and he goes on and he goes on to explain who Jesus is. He doesn't want us to miss the picture of who Jesus is. To miss who Jesus is is to miss everything. And it seems to me that that's why he goes on and on. Another thing to notice is that we're going to focus our attention today on the verses that were read, and especially the first three verses that were read, uh, verses 15 through 20. And pretty much every scholar and every commentator, no matter what, where they come from or what their attitudes are about whether the Bible's true or not, I mean, every, pretty much every scholar who's written about this talks about this being a poem. I don't know about you, some, sometimes I feel more poetic than others, Generally, I don't consider myself a poet, but, and, and I don't spend time reading poetry. Some people do, and that's wonderful. But think about this for a second. A lot of the Bible is written in poetry. A lot, a lot. And I have to tell you that every time I open the book of Psalms, God blesses me over and again. Why? Because they're written in beautiful, beautiful poems. And when you write in poetry, what are you trying to do? What you're trying to do is you're trying to paint a picture with words trying to you know a beautiful painting right A picture's worth a thousand words, right? This idea is that the poet... So you say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Immediately a thousand pictures come to our mind and a thousand words to describe what God is like, how he is my shepherd. And so when you get to 15 to 20, Paul is in poetical form. He's talking about who Jesus is. So in verse 13, he says the kingdom of his beloved son. And then in verse 15, he says... He. Who is the he? The beloved son. It's Jesus. And then in verse uh, 18, it says, he, right? And it says, he's the beginning. Uh, in him, all the fullness of God had, uh, was pleased to dwell through him, right? These are, uh, it's a poem about Jesus. Painting a picture of who he is and what he's like. And poems... In our fast-paced world of notifications and, you know, so things popping up on our cell phone randomly, all of that stuff, you know, we don't really have a ton of time to be thoughtful and to be reflective. But if we're going to actually investigate our faith, if we're going to say, ask a question of our faith, is our faith enough to get us through the trials of life? We have to come to the conclusion that we need to spend some time thinking about this one in whom we've put our faith, Jesus Christ. So it pays to spend time to meditate on God's word, to dwell on God's word. Paul is going to say later in this book, in in one, one of the most wonderful verses, I think, let the word of God dwell in you richly. He doesn't say, be casually familiar with scripture. Know a few Bible stories. He says, let God's word dwell inside you. Let it dwell inside you richly. That's why he writes in poetry here, to get his message across in a deep and powerful way. So that brings us to verse 15. What does Paul teach us about Jesus, the beloved son? In verse 15, he teaches us at least two things and we'll spend some time on them. The first is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God, the image of the unseen God. We go through life not seeing God right there's no you know it's just the Bible is pretty clear about this no man has seen God at any time in John chapter 1 and verse 18 it's very clear about that but what it's also clear and it's very interesting that's in that same verse in John 1 18 no one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side he has made him known So at the beginning of John's Gospel, as John is writing the story about Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus has said, all the stuff we know about Jesus from John's Gospel, he says Jesus' actions and Jesus' words are meant for the distinct purpose of revealing Jesus to be God. He is God. Jesus makes the Father known. He says later in John 14, verse 9, Jesus Jesus himself says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. This demands then that we go back and reread the Gospels. This demands that we study who Jesus is and what he has said and what he has done. Don't be content with someone else's view of Jesus, even if it's someone you like or someone you trust. Search the Scripture. Examine the Scripture to see the claims of Christ, to see what he said about himself and what his followers, his first group of followers, the apostles, said about him. Uh, So you follow John's gospel over. And uh, there's another verse that you should know from John chapter 1 that says that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word is Jesus, right? And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, if you're in the first century and you're seeing Jesus, and you're part, and you're living, you're living there, you're living there in Palestine at the time, and you're looking around, and you're seeing, you Jesus do miracles and so forth. I mean, does he have like a glory cloud on his head, right? Some people, some artists have depicted him that way, and that's an interesting way to look at it. But I'm not sure that's exactly what the gospel means when it says we beheld his glory, because the next chapter, when it talks about in John chapter two, when it talks about Jesus turning water into wine. What it says about that, John makes a comment that through this sign that Jesus did, turning water into wine, he showed us his glory. So what the gospel is trying to do and what Paul is trying to do in Colossians, what the entire New Testament is trying to do is to drive us to look to the work, to the words, to the deeds of Jesus. And when we look closely and we look carefully and we look prayerfully and we look in the the spirit, what we're going to find is that Jesus Christ is God. As the image of the invisible God, one scholar has said, as the image of the invisible God. Christ gives people the opportunity actually to see God. And that's a powerful thing. And I, I tell you that, if you haven't been through the Gospels lately, take a, take a tour through the Gospels. Take a tour through uh, the writings of, of, of the apostles as they talk about Jesus. Drink it in. Drink it in deeply. The demands of this world are too heavy not to. The challenges to our faith and the challenges to our very existence as believers are so strong that we must indeed make sure that our faith is up to the task. And when our faith is rooted in this one, you see, if you follow Jesus as the motivational speaker, right? If you, if you follow Jesus as a health guru, if you follow Jesus as a financial advisor, if you follow Jesus for maybe some political advice or for some medical advice, you have missed something grand. He is God. He's God of all of that stuff, right? And so if Jesus that you follow is God, if he's truly God as the scripture says he is, he's going to get you through that rough day. He's going to get you through that rough patch. He's going to get you through that rough month. He is going to take care of you. The next thing the verse says in uh, verse 15 is that not only is the image of the invisible God That Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. That is to say, by him all things were created. And, you know, you stop at firstborn and there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of scholarship on the word firstborn. What does it mean? And don't be distracted by people who say that Jesus is less than God. To me, it's totally ironic and silly to think, to think that this chapter that talks about how great Jesus is and the preeminence and that he's God and he's the creator and all this stuff is to say that he's somehow less than God. Firstborn does not mean he's less than God. Firstborn means that he is first in order and in rank. He is not only the first, uh, firstborn of creation, he is also the firstborn from the dead in verse 18. This phrase is used in the scripture elsewhere to describe people who were not firstborn, but in terms of their rank and their importance, they're at the top. They're at the top. And I think as a poem and it's been encouraged by, uh, by others to say we shouldn't just stop at, at creation at firstborn of all creation and the period there at the end of verse 15 in the, at least in the English Standard Version is not helpful because it, we need to keep reading for by him all things were created who creates things? God creates things and again what Paul does is he goes back to Genesis in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth right? Let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. And then, of course, uh, in another verse that you should know, John chapter 1 and verse 3, all things were made through him. John 1 3. Without him was not anything made that was made. If you have a narrowly focused Jesus, If you have a co-opted Jesus, you're missing a lot. Because it doesn't just say that Jesus created just the earth in verse 16. It says he created the heaven and the earth. He didn't just create the things we see, he created the things we don't see, which just kind of blows our mind if you stop and think about it. He has created all things. Our faith can withstand all of the trials of the devil, all of the injustices of the world, all of the evils of humans against each other, all of our personal setbacks, all of all of the things that bring us down, all of the things that break our heart, because he is the Lord over all creation. Why? Because he's created everything. And do not ignore in this passage how many times it says, All creation, in verse 15, for by him all things were created. At the end, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Oh my goodness. Paul is making a case here. If you haven't noticed, for the supremacy of Christ above all. This is the Jesus Paul commends to you. This is the Jesus that God commends to us in His Word. This is the Jesus who will get us through today, and He will get us through tomorrow. This is not to deny life's difficulties. It is not to deny the circumstances that we often find ourselves in that are troubling. It is simply to say that there is a God, this God of the Scripture. In the person and work of Jesus Christ, who will never leave us or forsake us. He says in verse 16, He is above things that are visible, things that are invisible whether they're thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And I invite you to look those up in commentaries because everybody has a different opinion of exactly what those things are. But nevertheless, nevertheless, he's above it all. He's above it all. There's nothing that the person in the first century could think of. Oh, Jesus isn't above this. Paul says no. And it hasn't changed now that we're 20 centuries advanced to the 21st century. Is there something that Jesus is not above? No, he's above it all. This is our God. This is our Lord. This is the one in whom our faith is. You know, it's not a matter of like whether I really believe something strongly. It's the object of our faith that's important. There are some people who believe very strongly in very silly things. And they believe very strongly. And they put all their money and all their resources in a very silly thing. And over a period of time, all of those resources go poof, they're gone. Because they had a lot of faith. I mean, they get A for having enthusiasm, but their faith was in the wrong thing. This chapter tells us that we need to have faith in Jesus. He is the God. The unseen God. The image of God. And he is the creator. Um, and then, you know, I get in the Gospels where it says, you know, my faith, you know, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. I think that's a prayer maybe we should pray a little bit more frequently because, yes, unbelief creeps in, but you know what? Lord, I still believe in you. Help me on those days when it's not as strong as it should be or when I, where the world kind of clouds over my image of you, where maybe I'm not as in, in touch with the word as I should be or ought to be. That brings us to our last point. Not only is Jesus the image of God, he is God himself. Not only is he the creator, the firstborn above all creation and and creating all things, but I really just want to just kind of end at the last couple words of verse 17. In him all things hold together. All things. Jesus is the sustainer. This is what we need to hear. This is what we need to hear from, from God's word. I was thinking of analogies uh, for this, and uh, you know, a, a couple ones uh, crossed my mind. You know, um, We live in Florida, and so we're used to things being a little shaky sometimes, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, we have these things. It's going to be hurricane season in a couple weeks. Aren't we all excited, right? I don't know how many hurricanes you lived through. I've, I've lived in South Florida 25 out of the last 26 years. And so I know, I mean, I've put shutters up a bunches of times and you know, I've done, I've done the whole hurricane thing, but I've only, believe it or not, and, and just thanks to God, I've only lived through one direct hit of a hurricane. And that was back probably 10 or 15 years ago when I was living in, in West Palm uh, Beach. And I remember sitting in my house and with my wife and my, and my two daughters who were very young at that point, very young uh, girls at that point. And I remember sitting here, this, this is a direct hit. i like to tell you how strong my faith was that day. It wasn't. I prayed a lot, I asked God to help us, keep us. But I don't, do you remember the sound of the whistling wind in the hurricane? As it's whistling through the house. Woo, and you're wondering, it's shaking, is it gonna shake? Is it shaking? Is it the roof gonna blow off? Thank God it didn't. Some of you may have been through earthquakes. And I've, what I've heard about earthquakes, I've not been, but I've heard that it does, the earth doesn't shake for a long period of time, but for however long it shakes, it seems like forever. And that things are shaking. And that people are you know people are scrambling and they're very worried and they're thinking their whole world is going to collapse and they think that earth is going to open up and swallow them right and so those you know those are times then i thought of a silly illustration and this is going to date me as officially a very old guy when i was a kid i used to watch uh star trek remember star trek the enterprise this is old school, right? This is this is OG, right? This thought of uh, James T. Kirk, Captain Kirk. Do you remember? If you remember that, they actually still show it on some channels, I'm sure. There's this old, these old, you know, terrible props and everything is just crazy. But there's uh, Mr. Scott, Scotty. He's the engineer. And they're facing aliens and stuff and all kinds of horrible things, laser beams. And, and you know, the, the scene switches to Mr. Scott. Mr. Scott says, Captain, I don't think the ship is going to hold. That happens in like every episode. And he's like, it's not going to hold. It is shaky. They're blasting us. The phasers, you know, and the warp speed and all everything. Nothing's working. <laughs> and it seems to me, it seems to me, I've had a few days like that. Nothing's working it is shaking i could feel i could feel i could feel the shaking of my soul one more phone call with bad news right one more news bulletin with some crazy horrible thing happening some horrible injustice right some example of man's inhumanity to man some example of some christian leader doing something stupid and and just Trying, and trying to get away with it. All of those things lead to the shaking of my soul. And I understand why some people at the end of the day, they add it all up and they say, you know what, Christianity isn't everything that I thought it was, I'm moving on to something else. I, I get that. But then we have to look back at the Bible, right? We have to look back at the God of the Bible. We can't look at the world around us. We have to look at the Bible. And the Bible says he holds all things together. It may feel like the ship is going to sink, but it doesn't. Our soul is safe. Let's go back to the Gospels again and think about the story that's very familiar, the story of, of, of Jesus on the boat with the disciples. And these disciples, most of them are like experienced fishermen, right? They know what it's like on the Sea of Galilee. They know there's storms coming. But the storm was really bad. The storm was really fierce. And Jesus was there on the boat sleeping. He was sleeping on the boat. Jesus, don't you know my world is shaking apart? Jesus, don't you understand? Everything is falling apart. Jesus, help. And with the word, he spoke. The waves, they ceased. The sea was calm. Paul would put it this way. There was peace that passes all understanding. And it seems to me, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what you've been through. But I know that the promise of the scripture is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will walk with you through family crisis, through medical crisis, through political crisis, through economic crisis, through international crisis, through everything. He will walk with you. That is the hope that we have in the gospel. That is the hope we have in Jesus. We're not just rooting for a political leader. We're not just rooting for a great philosopher. We're not just uh, supporting someone who, who had a great moral code. We are following. We are disciples. We want to know. Oh, the teaching of the one who is the very Son of God who promises us that all things hold together. I, I tell you, I wish, I wish that we all could live these really calm, peaceful lives. We could be, what's the word, chill, right? 24 7. Know, and the word is, and, and the reality is, it's not that way. There are some days, I have to confess, that there are some days where where the phone rings too often, there's too many notifications coming up, there's too many bad things happening in the world, and at those moments I have to stop and breathe and remember God's promise to me. He will walk with me even through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. So I'm thinking of folks today who may be thinking of like cashing it in, saying, I don't, this Christianity thing's not for me. I want you to, uh, this is the Jesus I commend to you, the Jesus of Colossians, the Jesus of the Gospels. I want you to read the Gospels over. I want you to, I want even if Christianity has not been modeled to you correctly by others, and maybe you've known the hypocrites, and maybe you've known the people with the moral failures, and maybe you've known these, the bad people, but look back at the Gospel. Look back at the truth of who Jesus is. It could be that you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and and you're wondering, man, this sounds crazy, right? The truth of the matter is, is I want you to consider this one who has promised us in verse 14 redemption and the forgiveness of sin. And for those of you who are faithful Christians and have known the Lord uh, for a while, I want you to know that God is with you, that Jesus is the great sustainer. He's going to keep you. And we don't know what trouble today will bring. We don't know what trouble tomorrow will bring. But we know that there's one who will walk with us. He will keep us. He will take our broken hearts, and he will bind them up. He'll give us comfort when there's sorrow. He'll give us love when we face hate. He'll give us peace when there's war. He'll do those things. He'll do them because he can, and he'll do them because he loves us. I don't know where you are. I don't know where your faith is. But I want you to know that when your faith is in the Jesus Christ that's presented in the Holy Scriptures, your faith is in a very good place. And I want you to hang on to that for all that you can. One last verse, and uh, I, I love this verse. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. And the Hebrews are people who are facing great persecution and and at the risk of their very lives for standing up for the Lord. And Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom. A kingdom. Remember that? Colossians 1. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. This is the God we worship. This is the God we serve. This is the God we follow. We are part of an unshakable kingdom. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I know folks are hurting. I know that. These are trying times. These are trying times. And it may seem tempting to say, you know, God isn't working for me. My prayer is that each one would have a chance to reexamine who you are, to hear your claims, to, to see your love, to look at your work, not only in the Scripture, but in their very lives. And Lord, I pray that you would bring all of us closer to you today. For that one who has never trusted in you, my prayer is that they would know you clearly and truly from your word, that you indeed have died and rose from the dead for our sins and for our justification and for the believers hurting today whose heart is sorrowful, whose soul is downcast, I pray that you would remind each one how much you love them and how much you are with them. Give us tokens of your love today as we seek to follow you in everything, in every way. Thank you for all of this. We pray it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.